Bonnie Marie Joseph was a 32-year-old from the Coosgee Reservation in British Columbia, Canada. She was a member of the First Nation community and had five children. On September 8, 2007, Bonnie was seen hitchhiking, something she often did, from Vanderhoof, headed toward Prince George for a court date she had the next day. She never reached her destination. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. missing person's case is going to have a complex set of facts, like the disappearance of Nico Lisi. Not every case is going to have video that tells a concerning story, like the disappearance of Thomas Brown. And not every vanishing is going to have cell phone data that leaves more questions than answers, like the disappearance of Zoe Campos. Really, most disappearances have none of those things. And because of that, many cases get overlooked. Yet the standard should be that all of these missing people are the same, as are the cases. No matter the facts, or the circumstances, or how long we can string out a story, all missing persons cases should eventually get their own time in the spotlight. I bring this up because the disappearance of Bonnie Joseph has none of those things mentioned above. The facts? Not many. Videotape? None. Cell phone data? Doesn't exist. But Bonnie Joseph is a person, and her case has been somewhat ignored. Not just by podcasters, but by seemingly the entire Canadian media. Well, today you get to hear about her, and her connection to something you've certainly already heard of. The Highway of Tears. And now a summary of the case. Bonnie Joseph, over the course of her adult life, had created a difficult situation for herself. She had fallen into a high-risk lifestyle of drug addiction. Bonnie didn't have a car, so to fulfill obligations mandated by the law, she had to hitchhike for hours at a time to attend counseling meetings. On top of that, Bonnie had five children she was trying to get back after years in foster care. Yet by all accounts, from both friends and family, Bonnie's life was on the upswing. She hadn't missed any of her monthly meetings, despite hitchhiking for many miles. She passed the drug tests, and by the end of 2007, Bonnie believed her kids would be back in her own care. This was the best her life had been in many years. So, on September 8, 2007, and like so many times before, Bonnie set out walking and hitchhiking from her reservation to Vanderhoof. She was headed to Prince George, many miles to the east, for a court-scheduled meeting. In Vanderhoof, she was seen coincidentally by her cousin Joanne. They spoke briefly. Joanne insists that Bonnie was in good spirits and sober. She last saw Bonnie walking east out of town on Highway 16 in the afternoon. Bonnie was never seen again. The following issues have complicated the investigation into Bonnie's disappearance. Number one, she was not officially reported missing until three months later. 
Number two, the absence of Bonnie's name in many articles written about what is now known as the Highway of Tears series of murders and disappearances. And number three, the overall lack of media attention and police concern in Canada for the murders and disappearances of many First Nation women from all over their country. Bonnie's family and fellow reservation friends are not sure what to think at this point, but they fear the worst. The interview for this episode is with Bonnie's cousin, Vanessa Joseph. Unfound News I plan to be going to the scene of a disappearance this coming weekend. Since I haven't gone yet, I'm not going to jinx it, so I'll keep the case to myself for now. I'm going to be meeting who will be the guest for this episode, and she's going to show me where everything happened. When I can, I'll tell you what the case is. Next, since next Friday is the second anniversary of the first Unfound episode, in contrast to when Unfound actually started, which was late July 2016, and I did this last year for the first anniversary, I will be replaying the case that started it all, the disappearance of Suzanne Lyle. I do this to show how far the program has come, in addition to me showing support for Mary, who showed me so much respect the first time I called her to ask her to be interviewed. Finally, I am currently looking for transcribers to start on the Season 2 cases of Unfound. If you have the skills and the time, you can contact me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Concerning Facebook, please join us on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern for the Unfound live show on the Unfound page. I also need to give a huge shout-out to all the new followers on the Podomatic app. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com, the website, unfoundpodcast.com, the website at tribtotalmedia, triblive.com, forward slash news, forward slash unfound. Unfound has Patreon and PayPal accounts. I need to thank these supporters for this week, Kelly, Julie, Angela, and the But Not Forgotten podcast. Unfound merchandise, volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4 on Amazon. Let's try to work on getting some great reviews for all of those books. If you've bought them, please give them a review. The playing cards at makeplayingcards.com and the shirts at myshopify.com. And please mention Unfound on all true crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the cousin of Bonnie Joseph, Vanessa Joseph. Vanessa, welcome to Unfound. Hi. Thank Let- you for having me. You're, you're very welcome, Vanessa. Thank you for joining me today. Um, let's start here. Tell the listeners a little bit about your cousin, uh, Bonnie. Uh, first of all, how is she related to you? 
um, her dad and my mom are cousins. We come from the same community of um, Yekuche First Nation. Okay. Here's what we probably need to do to first start this out, because this is going to be maybe a little bit of a theme throughout this uh, interview, is what does it mean, for people who don't know, First Nation? What does that mean in Canada? First Nations are um, the Indigenous or Aboriginal people, and we're called the Dakash, or the Carrier people. So you, for me being your average American, you're like what we call Native Americans, or they used to be called Indians in the United States, something like that? Yes. Okay. And you have your own communities in Canada, just like Native Americans do in the United States? Yes, the same reservations. We still, we're, like, Yekuche is a reservation. Okay. And where is your, where did you and Bonnie and maybe some of your other family members and cousins live? What, uh, what area actually is this? We, we grew up to a certain age, probably about maybe 10, 12 years old. We lived on our mother, our mother's reserve. Okay. First and I was raised by my dad after my mom and my dad divorced and I was raised by my dad's family on a different reserve called um, Clasden First Nation okay. and that's across the lake from Yekuche and Bonnie and other family members um, were raised in ministry care. What do you remember about Bonnie? What are the, the memories that you have of her? You know, knowing her maybe as a little girl, a teenager, what are some things that come to mind? She's always kind and she was creative mm-hmm. and just really, she was kind of shy and quiet. She had her own personality. What were, what were some of her interests? What was she into? Any sort of type of music or, you know, hobbies, anything like that, you know, to let the listeners maybe give us a little background on her. Um. She really loved music. And how um, how close were you to? I mean, in age, for example, are you, were you older than or younger than she is? I'm older than Bonnie by about three years. Okay, so fairly close. Fairly close. And uh, did you have a big family? I mean, you have lots of cousins, and do you have a lot of get-togethers, things like that? Yeah, we come from a big family and we're not so close now but we used mm. to be all of us kind of grew up and had our own children and our own families yeah okay we see each other when we can did you and bonnie uh, go to the same school together or did you spend any holidays or special days together back when you were teenagers or something like that yeah, we all all of us went to the same high school. There's only one high school in the in the area, and that's in Fort Saint James. Okay. So all of us, we all attended that high school. And okay. Did she have any uh, jobs as like a teenager into her twenties? Uh, what kind of uh, work did she do? Um, I don't think she worked. 
And if she did, it was mostly like um, reception jobs and like on-call stuff. Okay. She didn't have a permanent job or anything. Some of the things, uh, let's maybe cover some of the things that were going on in in her life. I mean, let's say maybe in that year before she disappeared. Of course, she disappeared September 8th, 2007. And the year before that, how often would you say that that you personally uh, saw Bonnie? How often did you see her, would you say? Probably like a month, every month. She was um, going to court for her children. Right. She got um, apprehended by the Ministry of Children's and Families. And she was going to court, and I've seen her pretty much every month. She was yeah. She was getting excited because the last time I seen her, she said she was almost done with court and they were going to be making a decision about her children. And she was mm-hmm. just happy, like really happy that things were coming to an end with the court cases and stuff like that. Yeah, that and, and yes, how many children did she have? Five. Five, wow. Okay. Yeah. Five. Great. And ranging in ages from what to what? And maybe how old? Let's just say I don't want to try do too many uh, too tough math here. How old are they now? Eleven years later. Do you know? Um, they're all in their twenties. Okay. They're all. I'm pretty sure they're all in um, of age. I think they're nineteen and over. Okay, so so about 11 years ago, they were all teenagers, and uh, if you can say, we don't want to go too, too deep into this to draw us away from her actually disappearance, but um, what had happened that, that, that uh, they weren't in her care, and how long had that been going on? I'm not even sure what happened, how she got her kids taken, but um, I just ran into her and she was going to court and every time I seen her pretty much she was either having visits with her children or going to court for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. I think she was going to court like because I seen her quite a bit and it was a, a year that I know, knew of and I'm not too sure how much how long or how long her kids were in care to by yeah. then and so she was having to um and this is one of the the parts of her disappearance but she had these mandated court appearances that she had to go to once a month um whenever it was scheduled and it was like pretty often that she was going because okay. i've seen her quite a bit okay and this was part of her, uh, something that she had to do if she wanted to get her children back. Yes. Okay. And this is, uh, maybe I should just note that this wasn't some sort of custody where some of the, a man or men who were the, the father, she wasn't like fighting for custody of them. It was, if she went and did these things, she would get her kids back. Yes. Okay. Great. So that's why uh, she was doing that. And how... She um she was hitchhiking. How long does would it uh, be to hitchhike from Fort St. James, where she was living, to Prince George? How long of a drive is that? 
The drive is about three hours. And she would have to hitch like hitchhike that whenever these these um, dates were appointed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Did she ever say anything about um, many scary stories? I mean, hitchhiking out in the you know the back country of Canada does not sound fun, especially for example if it's winter. But this was September. Um, to your knowledge, any? Scary stories that you ever told anybody, ever told you or your parents or anybody? No, she didn't share anything like that with me. No. And you never heard anything before or after her disappearance? No. But to your knowledge, she, even though she had a hitchhike all that way, she never missed one of these appointments ever. No, not for her children. That was really something really really important to her and uh, mm -hmm. that's why I, when she missed her visit when the family started really getting concerned that there's something wrong because she's first of all she missed a court date then she missed a visit and then everyone's like that's just like way too out of character for her to be doing sure. that sure it was really important for her to see her kids yeah, and I'm guessing if she missed one of these appointments or these meetings, then she might not be able to get her kids back. It would maybe put that off. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Do you know if during this time, uh, did, uh, was she able to talk to her? Was she allowed to talk to her kids on the phone? Would she get to see her kids, for example, when she would go to these meetings? Or, I mean, do you have any idea how any of that worked? Um, from my understanding, when your children are in care, you have to have visits and the Ministry of Children's and Families, they set up the appointments and mm -hmm. they have supervisors that spend time with the families, with the parents. Right. So they can't just go and phone them and they can't just go and see the children anytime they want. It has to be um, set up. Right. Right. That makes sense. It certainly makes sense. Okay. So she's hitchhiking. She has this three-hour hitchhiking down there. Um, and you had told me that she would actually get there a day early just to make sure she was there on time. Maybe you can explain a little bit more about that. When she'd get to Prince George, uh, what would she do the day before? Usually come visit with family. That's where I get to see her. That's how I knew she was going through all that is because she'd come either spend the night at my place or else with um, other family members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if she came in too late or whatever, she'd um, go to a woman's shelter. In Prince George? Yes. Okay. All right. And do you have any idea who would be picking her up during the, maybe truckers or somebody, maybe, you know, because I know there's a lot of logging in uh, industry in that area. Do you think that truckers were picking her up? Did you ever say? She never, never said about who mm. gave her a ride. Unless mm. it was somebody from home, she'd mention, right. like, 
our cousin so and so gave me a ride, or I seen this person from the reserve, and you know, just mentioned their name. Yeah. But other than that, like she never specifically said like login truck drivers or anything like that. Okay. And we have to remember, uh, as I've already um, will have stated. Uh, we are doing this interview on August 27th, but I will have stated in the intro to this interview that this highway, this highway that uh, she would be hitchhiking on is kind of notorious for being called the Highway of Tears, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, lots of women uh, have gone missing, going way back even to the 70s from this highway, and some of their disappearances or murders have been solved and, and some haven't. But this would have been the highway that she was hike, hitchhiking on, wasn't it? Yes, it's, yes, it is. Okay. And I'm guessing your family, you know, might have known at least a little bit about that. Um, but you see, Anna, be a little worried if they're doing this. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are. And we're concerned because there's a lot of um, young girls and young people. They're aware of the things that happen in Canada or, you know, if they're getting an education or being informed because we never really knew about about that until after Bonnie and other incidences that happened in our area that kind of made us realize, like, this is something serious and time for us to start opening our eyes and and understanding what's going on, like what's really going on. Yeah, it is. It is scary. I agree with you, Vanessa. It is is absolutely scary, especially when I look at the list, and in in a and really in getting ready to cover this case, the list that I've read about the, the Highway of Tears isn't even complete. In fact, Bonnie's case is not even considered. You know, it's not even listed on the disappearances and everything that. The, the women who have been attached to the highway of tears that's you know so who knows how many other women there are um i guess something else and i said this in the other canadian case that i covered a couple months ago is canada is relatively a safe place especially compared to the united states so that's what makes all of these disappearances and murders of these women even weirder and stranger mm -hmm. yeah so um, that's what sticks out to me. Now, we do um, need to talk about one thing, and once again, we don't want to go into this too deep, but we have to talk about it because it could be an element of our disappearance that uh, Bonnie did uh, like to drink a little bit, and maybe she had a couple addictions, but um, was she doing anything to um, – I'm, I'm sure if she had these court-appointed meetings that they were – trying to get her to go to treatment or anything. Do you know anything about that and how was she handling it? Yeah, she was going to treatment and she mentioned um, counselors and she mentioned like a few times she mentioned she really liked this one individual counselor that worked for um, Yekuche First Nations and he did a lot of um, work with her and with the community and she really spoke highly of him around that time and and I know she really she and 
she opened up to him and she was allowing healing to take place and really considering um, treatment, not just because it was court appointed, but like really just considering it. Mm -hmm. Not just, please. She was really happy. Would you say that uh, having known her like you you do, that you saw an improvement uh, in her, maybe in that last year before she disappeared? She had her up and downs throughout the whole year, and she was really excited because she she said it was coming down to her last few court court dates for her children, and you know that part of her life was coming to an end, and she was going to start moving forward. Okay. And she was looking forward to to the like finding out if she was getting her children back or not, and. She was. She just seemed really upbeat about it, and really happy, and she seemed okay with the way her life was gonna was turning turning out. Okay. So, were there people maybe in your family who were seeing her maybe a little bit more than you were? Maybe any brothers or sisters, or maybe yeah. her mother or somebody who were seeing her more? And of course, I'm guessing you have gotten to talk to them since 2007. Uh, what, what have they said about Bonnie at that time? Um, well, unfortunately, the one that was really close with her and she was closest to was her auntie Rose. And she succumbed to cancer. So. Oh, no. Yeah, you told me but about her. Yeah. To her sister, she has an older sister and she has a brother an older brother and a younger brother. And they're pretty close because there's... Okay. So they are under the same kind of idea that you are here in 2018 that uh, she was looking forward to the maybe, the you know, the rest of, two, of 2007. She was doing what the court said she needed to do, even it meant hitchhiking for three hours back and forth. Um, you know, to your knowledge or to your family's knowledge, she never missed any of these dates except the one, of course, on the day that she disappeared. But she was in good standing with, uh, you know, the the government agency who was uh, handling her children. She was in good standing. Yes, from my knowledge and understanding that she made it to every appearance and she made it to every visit. And that was something she really looked forward to, was seeing her children all the time. And Yeah. Do you know her children now? Have you gotten to talk to them since 2007? Are you allowed to do that? Is the family allowed to do that? Well, they're of age now, and they can do what they want. It's sure. their adults. And, okay. And yes, I've um, recently started speaking to one of her daughters. Her name is Nina. Great. And yeah. So Great. And she has her own daughter and she's living and you know having That's her good. own family. Well I'm glad you have a connection with them, even though their mother's been gone for eleven years. That's nice. Let's get to that day. Um let's just go over the facts of that day. Uh we now know that she was uh, headed to Prince George, which is where she was had to go to court, and it's a three hour hitchhike. Um just about what was going on that day, where she was seen, things like that. 
Well, the day that she she went hitchhiking, she was hitchhiking to Prince George, and the day the next day would have been her court, one of her court appearances for her children. Okay. And that day, she ran into one of our cousins, and um, they spoke for a bit, and. And from my understanding is every year the investigators, they interview our cousin Joanne and Mm -hmm. ask her about Bonnie and where she was, what they talked about for the last 11 years. So, Okay, so that morning, let's just uh, talk about that day, September 8th, 2007. Where does she start her day at? Where was she to start the day? I'm not even sure where she started off that day, but um, that afternoon she ran into our um, cousin Joanne and Vanderhoof outside of A&W and they chatted and Joanne said her the last time she seen Bonnie was walking up the hill in Vanderhoof towards Prince George and... So there was an intersection there in Vanderhoof right along that Highway 16. And uh, your cousin Joanne just coincidentally, I guess it was just a coincidence that they ran into each other? Yeah, Joanne, she usually works out in camp all the time. And she just came out of camp that day and just happened to run into Bonnie. Hmm. And uh, what did what's Joanne say about did... Uh... Bonnie look happy? Did she look good? I mean, how did how did she portray her? Um, she didn't describe anything like that to me, but I'm sure she told the cops all of that. Okay. All right. So, and when you say that uh, she was uh, Bonnie was headed toward Van, uh, toward Prince George, we have to be clear: Vanderhoof and Prince George are not very close to each other. They're on the same no, highway. Yeah. But they're about an hour, hour and ten minutes separated. Okay, so if uh, uh, Bonnie was headed toward uh, toward Prince George, she was just heading, walking east on that highway out of town. Yes, you know it wasn't like she was going to walk fifteen minutes and be in Prince George. She was going to have to get a ride at some point to to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, and I'm guessing that Bonnie was alone. No, no, nobody was with her. She was just by herself. Mm-hmm. Okay, and to your knowledge, uh, that day at that time, your cousin Joanne, uh, that was the last known sighting of Bonnie. She she never made it to Prince George. Is that correct? Yes. All right, and so uh, Bonnie never made it to. I, the, a woman sheltered down there to stay overnight. She never made it to her court-appointed appearance, and she has been missing uh, ever since. Yes. Okay. Um, when did you or your family uh, start to realize maybe that something wasn't right? Do you remember that? Do you remember where you were or maybe Bonnie's mother or somebody like that or, you know, or siblings? To think, you know, we haven't seen Bonnie in a while. I wonder where she is. I think it was when they said she missed her visit. Okay, and how did you find uh, that out? Like the ministry will 
contact the community. Um, we usually have on our First Nations reserves, we have a um, MCFD worker that's appointed to that individual community. And if they have concerns of individual, and if they can't reach them because they've missed a visit or they missed a court date, then they contact that individual person that works for the band and then they'd find out where that person is. And then when she missed her um, visit, her first visit, they contacted that individual and then that's where we all went, well, that's not normal. But she mm -hmm. normally doesn't do that. Okay. And I think people, we, like, all of us were alert that she was like, holy, that's so out of character, and but didn't think anything, like, didn't think she was missing or that she was never going to come back. We just all thought that was weird. And, and then in January or December, I do believe, they um, reported her missing because she missed a few visits by then. Wow. So, and another court date. So after, pretty much after the second court date, that's when they're like, no, that, that there's something wrong here. Wow. So officially, as far as uh, the, the RCMP in Canada is concerned, um, no uh, missing persons report was filed till December, so like three months later. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, can you explain, maybe I, I realized that, um, you know, she was, uh, Bonnie was a little bit transient. Uh, she didn't technically did not have, uh, uh, a, a home address, I guess you'd say. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be a little tough to find out where she is, but in retrospect, why do you think it took three months now that you think about it now? I can't even see for anybody else, but mm. for for me, yeah, I don't know, like not knowing the amount of women that are actually missing, I was pretty naive and pretty like sheltered, I guess to mm -hmm. to what really is happening in Canada, like there is a lot the numbers are staggering about the amount of. First Nations women that are missing or murdered in Canada, and you know, maybe if we were made aware of those things, and I don't know, might okay. could have done things differently. I don't know, but okay. I guess I guess maybe to put it another way is that it, it had you known, you know, what was kind of going on along this Highway 16 for going back a few decades you and the rest of your family would have been a little more concerned. Yeah, I think so. I think we would have been, we would okay. have been more uh, um, proactive. Right. In getting things done or calling the cops or whatever. Like, I think we would have been a lot more proactive. Yeah. And then the other uh, kind of the impression that I got in in talking to you before maybe even this interview is that being that she kind of did move around from place to place and hitchhike and 
and things, it's like people just didn't realize that she was missing. They just thought, well, she must be just somewhere else. I didn't see her today, so she must be over there. And just nobody kind of put it all together that she was actually missing. Everybody just thought, well, she's somewhere out there. I just haven't seen her recently. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And One. it was like definitely something wrong after her second court court appearance that she missed, and that's when everyone was worried. Like even the social workers that worked with her and who worked with her children, they're like, "That's so unlikely. Like there's something wrong." Okay. Who was the person that eventually? Um, who was the official member of? Uh, your family, our friend, or whoever, uh, who eventually reported her missing and filled out the paperwork. Her auntie Rose Joseph. Okay, maybe um, you just need to talk a little bit uh, about her because um, she was kind of the person that kind of headed your family up after this to try to find what happened to Bonnie. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about Annie Rose? Um, sadly, she succumbed to cancer like I mentioned earlier yeah yeah at the time Rose was the band counselor for for the nation she was like the governing body of the nation and mm-hmm. so okay and they did and they did what they can to try and find her and get come to terms with the fact that she's missing and stuff but around that time then that's when she started um she found out she had cancer and stuff like that so wow so you're saying that bonnie disappeared in 2007 rose files the missing persons report kind of takes the lead on all of this but maybe in 2008 2009 she's first diagnosed with cancer yeah and oh, i no. think she passed in 2010 oh no yeah she... All right. Yeah. All right. So she was the one who, uh, once again, went to the once to the the, uh, the Canadian RCMP, which stands for Royal Canadian Mounted Police. If people don't know, and yeah. um, they start looking into this. Uh, could they do anything? I mean, you know, even with well-known cases in the United States, if a person isn't reported missing for three months. That can really hurt the uh, probability of solving the case. But um, do you know anybody that the the police came in and uh, talked to? Did they come on and talk to maybe uh, Bonnie's brothers and sisters, her mother, or anybody else? What do you know? Um, I do know the the social workers. And the women who run the shelters um, always um, phone and get updates on Bonnie. And I don't know, with the family, I don't know if they know where to start or how to start. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they just don't have much information. And there's not much information about Bonnie out there, too. And... That's true. Not even having the skills to be able to to go out in the world and say that my sister is missing and I need help. Like, 
and that that's partially why I wanted to do this interview is sure just to bring more exposure to Bonnie's case and yeah and with hopes that people will will educate themselves and you know so that we're not so vulnerable as women and people to to these things right right I guess what you're saying is that after three months and being that Bonnie was a little bit transient anyway, I mean, seems like a, a perfectly fine, fine person trying to do the right things in her life. Um, but after three months and you, of course, knowing her well, but only seeing her once a month, it doesn't sound to me like the police had much to go on. No, I don't think they did. Yeah. Yeah, and I've run into a couple cases here in the United States that are like that, that even when they're missing, the person's reported within a day. Sometimes when people can kind of just drop right off the map, you know, there's no video evidence. Um, of course, Bonnie didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. You know, there's not much for the police to do. So, and then, of course, the three months delay didn't help. Um, did anybody ever have a chance to, or the, maybe the police or your Aunt Rose or somebody to talk to any of the women's shelters in Prince George where Bonnie would stay. Had they maybe seen her that day? Do we even know if possibly if Bonnie got made it to Prince George that day? No, I don't know. I haven't spoken to them and I haven't, um, they haven't said anything. But there was uh, one piece of uh, evidence that kind of popped up. Um, I'm, you're you're going to have to give me the, the best time frame you can on this, but uh, you told me that uh, Bonnie carried a, a wallet, mm-hmm. and uh, it was found. When was it found, and where was it found? It was found near a lake, I do believe, and... Um... She still had her um, social assistance check in there, in her wallet. It wasn't cashed, and it was still in the wallet. And so I don't know. And from my understanding, she picked up her check, and then she was heading to Prince George for her court. And Okay. So your belief is that she picked up the check, her check, the same day that she disappeared. Yeah, I okay. think so. Okay. I'm not even a one hundred percent sure about that too, but mm. really not much information to go on with her case. It's like you said, dropped off the face of the earth. So yeah, I don't even know. Okay. Maybe we should need to be specific on this once again. Um, what lake, uh, near what lake? It wasn't found, I don't think, in the lake, but around what lake, where was it found? I'm not sure. Um, they said um, a lake near Vanderhoof. So my only guess would be is um, Fraser Lake. Fraser Lake. Yeah, and it's a big lake. It, it is. Yeah, there, there's one spot there that's like 20 minutes out of Vanderhoof that you can get to it. And then there's uh, another, there's along the way right to Fraser Lake. And Fraser Lake's probably an hour drive. Yeah. I um, get, 
what you're saying is that it's a huge lake and it runs very long east and west. So yeah. maybe the furthest so, most eastern point yeah. is only 20 minutes away. The furthest point's like an hour away. Yeah. So okay. And that's my guess. I'm not 100 percent sure about the lake that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So okay. But that's interesting because if it is Fraser Lake, uh, for while it was found out there, do you even know how has the the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, after all this time, ever even told you how the wallet was found? No. Oh. And I haven't um, I haven't asked them either. Okay, might be in a good idea. You know, I'm gonna guess that yeah. maybe somebody just came upon it, but we don't know. Yeah, that I was making a list of things that I wanted to ask the police and just ask for updates and who yeah. is the new investigators, if there's anybody new on the case, and you know, just yeah. find out some some more information. Okay. Well, I'd like to uh, work with you on that. If you're if you're continuing to do that, I'd be happy to work with you on that. Maybe I can give you some suggestions. I have a little bit of experience in that area. So, okay, that's you know, you know we can work on that uh, in the f coming uh, weeks for sure. But um, Fraser Lake is in the opposite direction of the way to Prince George. It's to the west of Vanderhoof, whereas she would have been heading east if it is Fraser yeah. Lake. Mm -hmm. If it is. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit confusing to me if it is Fraser Lake. Um. And being that only her wallet was found there, doesn't sound like anything else was found there. That is a little bit of a stumper. And if her check was still in there, that you'd think that she would have cashed it if she had some time to do so. So, uh, did they know? Did, did they just know that it was hers because they saw the check and saw her name on it, or was her ID in there? Did you ever get anything? I think back? her ID was in there too with her check. All right, so the wallet was found. To your knowledge, once again, I realize that uh, you know maybe things are a little different in Canada. I don't know how forthcoming the police are, but besides the wallet, uh, anything of Bonnie's ever found anywhere? Maybe a, a shirt that she was wearing or shoes? Uh, anything that has popped up in the last 11 years? Not that I know of. Okay. No. And uh, maybe I just need to clarify this, too. Uh, do you know when the wallet was found? Uh, if she disappeared in early September, uh, when was the wallet found? To your best guess. Um, Would you say it was... Sister, her Please. sister mentioned that it was sometime before the report of her going missing. Mm. Okay. So it had to be sometime between September and December of that year. Okay. And did your family not find out about the wallet till after? Or how do you remember that? Yeah, her sister just got that information from from the cops, I do believe. Because they give her all the updates, I think, on, on Bonnie, if there's any. and. Mm -hmm. I know that she mentioned her wallet being found and and it was near the lake. So I assumed that it was Fraser Lake. Right. That's the lake near near Vanderhoof. Okay. Okay. 
I, I, I guess the reason I'm asking that is the, you know, the time frame could be at least a little bit important. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I'm just wondering when did, when do you think that your family, I mean, maybe the wallet was found between September and December. Um, when do you think that your personal family, once again, whoever would be the point man on or point woman on that, um, when do they, do you think they found out about her wallet being found? Was it years it later? A year later? It wasn't right away. It was like a year later. Or oh, so. It was, that, it was. That, that information was shared. So I'm not sure if it was shared prior to that and then mm -hmm. and okay. then them sharing it with Sharon, her sister. Okay. Mm -hmm. But really, uh, after all these years, 11 years, almost 11 years now, it's going to be 11 years very, very shortly. Um, that's the only piece of evidence that you know of regarding Bonnie's disappearance. Yeah. I did ask you uh, in doing some reading, I've, I've heard of the highway of tears uh, before um, mm -hmm. I have uh, read, a, a, of course I learned a lot more about it with probably within the last maybe five days reading about it. Uh, it there have been uh, several articles about it, even in the New York times. Uh, there's been a couple documentaries that you can find on YouTube about them. Probably other documentaries that aren't on YouTube, I'm guessing. Uh, in all these 11 years, uh, once again, to your knowledge and what you've talked, you know, talked to family members, just talking, uh, you know, amongst yourselves, any possible suspects that the police or anybody has ever told you about regarding her disappearance? Nope. No. Okay. Would you say that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, do a fair job in keeping you updated, or is it more along the lines of you mentioned Sharon, Sharon trying to co contact them and them not calling her back? How would you say that the RCMP has been over the last 11 years? The responsiveness. In my opinion, it doesn't seem like that mm -hmm. they. I don't think they care. <laughs> I okay. Mean, I don't know. Like, no, like, they don't have regular family updates or they don't have anybody coming and, like, educating us on these things or anything. Like, no communication from them. That's very, uh, very common theme on this program. Uh, not just, I mean, as you, I think, already know, Vanessa, most of the disappearances I cover in the United States, that's a common theme down here, too. And uh, I, I don't, I, you know, something maybe that you can take back to your family is that, you know, if the RCMP is treating you like that, it's not personal. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not because uh, they're rude or they're not doing their jobs or because uh, you're a minority or whatever the, whatever the, the case may be. It's not that. It's just the way it is mm -hmm. sometimes. You know, I'd say it's a, major a large majority of the time, but then once in a while I do a crown across the case where uh, the police department seems very responsive. Just that's not that common. So mm -hmm. just having, I guess what you're saying is you haven't had a lot of interaction with them over the last 11 years. Your family hasn't. No. Okay. 
No, I, I can't remember the last meeting they had with the cops about Bonnie. So. So you're saying it's been a while? Yeah, I don't recall them okay. or anybody talking about the cops making a meeting with the fa- meeting with the family at all. So. Um, okay. Now, in doing my reading, and I didn't do anything, uh, uh, you know, uh, just once again, trying to educate myself on the Highway of Tears, some of the victims, women who have disappeared, um, the the public, uh, the listeners should know that some of these um, guys that caused some of these murders and disappearances have been caught, not for all of the cases, but many of them, and like I said, these cases go back to at least the 1970s. But I had brought the name up to you, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to butcher this last name, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Uh, his name is Cody Legebokoff, L-E-G-E-B-O-K-O-F-F. Uh, thank you. Um, and he was caught uh, eventually, but he killed four women. Allegedly starting in 2009 into 2010 and onward in, in kind of the same area, especially the area that that Bonnie was headed toward, which would have been Prince George. Uh, in the last 11 years, have you um, ever heard his name mentioned or has your family ever mentioned his name as a possible suspect in Bonnie's disappearance? No. No. And I have to ask you this, being I and I, of course, in our prior conversation, brought this name up to you. Had you ever even heard of him before I mentioned to him a few days ago? I heard of him when he got charged for those four girls, and okay, okay. that's the only time I've ever heard of heard of his name was when he got charged and being the youngest serial killer in Canada, so. That right. obviously makes a headline. That surely would, because you're right. He's very young for, to be a serial killer. He wasn't born in 1990, so uh, at least according to official records, he, he killed his first uh, woman at 19 um, and then killed a couple more women, or at least uh, and not all the bodies in his case have been found, but uh, 19 is a fairly young age. and have you uh, ever thought about the possibility that he could be involved in Bonnie's disappearance, being that it was just two years before that in the same area? No. No? Okay. All right. And I'm going to, and for the listeners should know that I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, Cody and a couple of the other murder slash disappearances that happened in the couple years before Bonnie disappeared uh, in my summation after this interview. Uh, Just once again, some things that I encountered while looking into this. But once again, Bonnie's name is not listed on the list of victims or possible victims on the Highway of Tears, and I would certainly like to change that in interviewing Vanessa today. Um, We need to get Bonnie's name certainly more out there than it is. If the Highway of Tears is going to get a lot of publicity, you know, as a, as a some sort of uh, phenomenon regarding disappearances and murders. We certainly want Bonnie's name to be on that list so more people can, you know, find out about her and maybe get this case solved. 
uh, the last 11 years, Vanessa, what's it been like for you, uh, your family, and the people on uh, your reservation there in regards to Bonnie's disappearance? We've been through a lot. Our communities have been through a lot of different um, tragic incidences over the last 11 years, and there has been a reoccurrence, like another family member has gone missing since Bonnie, and right. it's been difficult. There's good days, bad days. It takes its toll on our family in different ways, different measures. The siblings go through their own their own hurt and pain, and as cousins watching them too, like and knowing that our other family member is gone, and yeah, and coming from a small community too, and you know it's, it's difficult because we we all know each other, we've all we are all a part of one another, and, and they're just not here. Yeah, they're they're gone. <laughs> On top of the fact that member members of your community, the wider community across Canada, like you said, how many uh, Indigenous women of Canada have been murdered and and have disappeared? On top of that, and Bonnie is one more woman to add to that list. Mm-hmm. And I think the number is around twelve hundred. Oh my. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Okay. And when you look at the population of the First Nations people in Canada, we make up 5% of that population. Yeah. yeah right. So it's, it's a high number in comparison right, to Canada. Because um, we only make up 5% of the population and then 1,200 of, of that 5% is missing or murdered. Right. Yeah, so, you know, I just happen to know off the top of my head that Canada has about one-tenth the population of the United States, so somewhere over 30 million, let's just call it 30 million, you're 5%, so that's 1.5 million, and I think that's how that works out, and um, then uh, 1,200 of those people and their women are missing or murdered, and are unsolved mm-hmm. cases, they're not just missing or murdered, but they're unsolved cases. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a much higher percentage than the general population of Canada, and I'm sure it's a much higher population than, for example, comparison to the United States or whatever. It's, yeah, that's pretty bad. Pretty, mm-hmm. pretty bad. Any uh, insight into that? Uh, you, you know, you've, uh, you're a grown woman. Uh, like I said, you were three, a couple of years older than Bonnie when she disappeared, so... I'm guessing you're into your 40s now. Any insight into that? Uh, why that number is so high? I've listened to a lot of um, and read a lot of different um, papers that have been written, and I've listened in on the Mer- National Inquiry for the Murdered and Missing Women in Canada. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the people believe that it's because we're vulnerable Hmm. and there's different reasons what makes us vulnerable and one two common factors that are 
that are in common with all of the murdered and missing women is that they were either taken by the Ministry of Children's and Families and they were sexually abused. So those are like two of the really common denominators amongst every single one of the, the 1,200 that were that are missing or murdered. So what you're saying is those women who have those couple facts uh, combined in their lives, their probability of them disappearing or being murdered, the, the, the percentage goes up, the probability goes up. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. you know, like, Knowing these pieces of information, I want, like, I hope that a lot, we get a lot more education through all of these things, like talk shows or any mm -hmm. other types of media and communication. And, and I hope that we learn to communicate these things a lot more effectively and efficiently to get the point across that there's like in my opinion that is, that's a state of emergency the amount of women and children that are being affected by by what's going on yeah so and i think I you think told i think you told me that since bonnie's disappearance i mean you've really um educated yourself and you've been talking to people about all this everything that you learned bonnie bonnie's disappearance kind of you know affected you in that way yes it made me um really look at how i inform myself and and our socio-economic issues that are barriers and that can be contributing to our vulnerability and you know, just trying trying to find ways to to empower ourselves so that it stops. Like right. it has to stop. Yeah. Right. And I don't even know how the Canadian government is gonna mitigate that how they're gonna mitigate all of these things and and yeah. stop it. Like I don't know. So I think we have to start educating ourselves and empowering ourselves so that these things will stop completely without right well yeah of course if the government's not going to be uh you know can't do something about this uh whether it's through more law enforcement in the area or laws or whatever else then all you can do is talk to the people that you know in your community and especially the women and mm -hmm. uh you know tell them you, you know these are the things that you know, you probably need to avoid. And then, you know, of course, being that it's mostly men in the world who commit the crimes, you know, you know, they, they probably need to be educated, you know, to, you know, treat women with more respect and things like that as well. You know, and, and for the good guys to look out for their women a little bit more, you know, so sure. If, yeah, if, if the government's not going to do anything, you have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that we can do to to bring our build ourselves up, and one of the things is not creating more barriers for ourselves. Me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating topic, Vanessa. I really do. 
I really think that's uh, we have similar issues here in the United States to a much even probably worse extent, <laughs> given, mm-hmm. you know, our crime rate, even though our crime rate in the United States has come considerably down since the 1970s. We still have a crime rate that nobody should be happy about. So, uh, you know, we have our own issues down here and uh, this is an international show and I'm sure people in Ireland and Australia and England and uh, they're going to probably hear this and probably get something out of it as well, you know, because we always like crime and disappearances and uh, women going missing. Uh, Those stats can always be better. Why don't you tell uh, the listeners about... Uh, do you have a Facebook page or something like that set up for Bonnie and her case, her disappearance, on you know anything like that? No, but we do have information about Bonnie on, unfortunately, our other cousin. Her name is um, Immaculate Basil. Right. And we have information about Bonnie on on her um, Facebook page that we have set up for her. Right. Okay. And that's interesting because uh, although it's going to be an episode maybe a week or two weeks from now, um, we're going to in short, shortly talk about uh, Immaculate Basils, uh, her name, her short name being Mackie. We're going to talk about her disappearance. Uh, that is uh, another fa- a member in your family who went missing uh, in 2013. So you're going to be joining me on a future episode of Unfound as well. So what you're saying is that Bonnie, what you've done is kind of combined Bonnie's disappearance and, and, and Mackie's disappearance onto one page. Yes. Okay. All right. Great. I'm sure the, the listeners will find that and I will be linking to that uh, in the uh, people already know by now, but up and t- up to the point where this interview is heard. Uh, Any final words before we complete this first interview? I have so much to say about all of the things that are, that has happened in our family and, Mm -hmm. you know, some of it's not so good and some of it is like, but we do miss them. We do miss Bonnie and hopefully we can have closure and hopefully that doing unfound that we might get some answers sure we have hopes we continue to hope for the best and but part of us is slowly dying because they're out there and we don't know where they are or what they're doing if they're alive or if they're not alive we don't know all and we just continue every day we continue and we we just keep our hope up that things will have our answers. One day we'll have our answers to all the things that that we don't know about these two cases. Yeah. And to encourage everybody that listen that's listening to you know, just learn how to take care of each other out there and don't be complacent. Things could happen so fast and It's true. That's true. Absolutely true. Uh, I know that you know one of you know you make a good point there about how quickly things can happen. Um, you know, there's no doubt, uh, as you've already stated, that uh, both for men and women, if they are in, engaged in some you know risky behaviors and hanging out with the wrong people, that 
uh, the percentage, the, the probability that something bad could happen to them obviously increases. But the mm -hmm. other, you know, you know, big thing to understand is disappearances happened every, you know, demographic out there, not just the United States, but anywhere. Poor people, rich people, majorities, minorities, you know, men, women, you know, it doesn't matter. And you're right that when it happens, it's like, especially in your family's case, you really didn't, because maybe you didn't understand everything, now you do, but at the time, you, you don't take it as, not seriously, but you don't understand that that's something that goes on, and then when it does, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, what just happened? What just happened? But uh, we're going to, Bonnie's case is not a well-known one, at least to my knowledge, but I hope it becomes one. I would like to get her put on the list of uh, people, of women who have uh, vanished, uh, you know, in regards to this highway of tears in Canada, so we can raise the profile and, and maybe that will help uh, get her case solved. And Vanessa, I appreciate you. Uh, being on this episode of Unfound, and we'll be talking to you again. The listeners will be hearing from you again uh, very shortly, but I appreciate you being on this episode. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Vanessa Joseph, cousin of Bonnie Joseph. I thank her for joining me and all of you on the program. As I stated at the beginning... Not a lot of facts, not a lot of information, virtually no suspects, but still a case that deserves attention like all the others. Even more so because Bonnie has been left off many lists concerning the Highway of Tears. Why has she been left off? Let's talk about that. Vanessa stated in the interview that there were approximately 1,200 First Nation women who have gone missing or been murdered starting in the 1970s. That 1,200 number comes from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. 1,200 is a horrible number. Since the U.S. has 10 times the population of Canada, that would be like 12,000 Native American women going missing or murdered in the United States once again since the 1970s. Yes, another horrible number. By the way, the U.S. doesn't have that level of problem, although the concern for Native American women in my country should be stronger. But here's the kicker. Activists in Canada claim the number should be over 4,000 First Nation women who disappeared and or have been murdered. 4,000. But because we know governments like to understate crime numbers, and well, activists and lobbyists of all topics, politics, sports, podcasting, <clears throat> like to sway stats to their side, let's just take the average of the two. That would be 2,600 First Nation women disappearing or being murdered in Canada since the 1970s. A country of only 32 million people total. Now maybe we see why Bonnie Joseph hasn't been included in so many Highway of Tears lists as we think she should. Because the government understates the numbers. And now maybe you see why I wanted to cover the case. One from a series of crimes that should be listed, but hasn't been. And frankly, I can't help but be a little conspiratorial that Bonnie's and other First Nation women's cases have been kept off the Highway of Tears list on purpose. Because they are right there if anyone wants to find them. But several sites haven't seen fit to list them, including Wikipedia.
As for the Highway of Tears cases and Bonnie's disappearance itself, my perception is that all of the cases were committed in clumps. What I mean by that is it seems various violent men over the last 40 plus years have used Highway 16 as their killing ground at certain times, meaning they never killed just once. They killed or caused at least a few women to disappear before these men got caught. And yes, most of them have been tracked down eventually. What I'm saying and how this relates to Bonnie's case is that I am pretty sure that whoever did something to Bonnie most likely harmed women before her and or after her. That her disappearance wasn't caused by a guy who committed one violent act once and never did it again. This is the exact reason I asked Vanessa about Cody Legebikov. Could he have started his killing spree at the age of 17? I believe so. And he should be questioned about Bonnie. There is something else, though, and something more likely than Cody being involved. There were two women, Tamara Chipman, another First Nation woman, who was hitchhiking and went missing on Highway 16 in 2005, near Prince Rupert, and headed east toward Vanderhoof. And Ilya Sarek Auger, a 14-year-old who was found dead on the side of Highway 16 east of Prince George not long after she went missing in 2006. The man or men responsible for these cases has never been identified or caught. I think if the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were to find who is responsible, I believe they would be very close to determining who caused Bonnie Joseph's disappearance. This would also fall into my theory that men who commit the crimes along Highway 16 always do so in groups of more than one. With that, I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.